As you look around society today, look around the world, even look around the church, in many ways, things appear to be kind of a mess. Well, Bishop Caggiano today on Let Me Be Frank is going to talk about the mess that we see in the world and even the mess that we see in the church and some of the things that we can do from uh, our, our positions as lay people and his position as a bishop to help make things right again. That's ahead on Let Me Be Frank today. So keep your radio right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone using the Veritas mobile app. If you don't yet have the app, go and get it from the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from our wonderful sponsor, Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport, resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship, and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, my name is Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning, my friend. Good morning. Uh, good morning. We have a lot to talk about, don't we? I'm sure we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most people, you know, our listeners probably have surmised that we plan our topics. Yes. But today we didn't. So today no. is free-flowing. This free. could be really very interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm picking up my second cup of coffee. Just Yes, uh, so of course. My toes. It's too early for alcohol. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's last Saturday, I had the great privilege to be part of that Connecticut Catholic Conference meeting. Yes, and it was tremendous to see over 500 men in attendance. And there were both young and old and everyone in between. And the last time I had gone was 2017. So that was five years ago. I saw you me. there, Excellency. Oh, you were there. You gave a great talk. You talked yeah. about, uh, um, I, so I missed this past Saturday, but five years ago, you talked about uh, the thing I remember I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, no, um, no. This is your show. Remember, you, yeah, right. <laughs> you went uh, shooting with Secret Service agents. Yes, and I told you about the week. Yes, yes, yes. That really, yes, that really yes. made an impression on me. Yes. So, if I had a topic, if I could give a title to what I spoke about, it was it could be called the mess, the mess, and. I, I reminded the men, and I think it would be good for us here too in our podcast to kind of think through without necessarily giving a commentary on the implications, at least to start, is what is in real time the situation we find ourselves in right now. Mm. Yeah. And I called it the mess to be a little bit facetious, but it really is very concerning in so many different ways, right? So for example... If you look at the uh, political 
landscape globally. I mean, what's going on in the Ukraine has fallen out of a lot of people's immediate attention. And that's, that's very right. sad, yep. isn't it? Yes. And yet the, the war continues, many are dying. And quite frankly, now that President Putin has called up the reserves, you can see outright protests in the streets of Moscow. Men of, of military age fleeing by the literally tens of thousands, so much so that the International Space Station can actually see it. Wow. Which is amazing. And there are women on the streets of Moscow protesting the fact that their fathers, their husbands, their brothers are being conscripted in a war that nobody asked for yep. except him. Yeah. Right? So what concerns me there is it's an unjust war. And now, unfortunately, it's become part of the landscape, right? You know, people are talking about other things. In my mind, that is just extraordinarily sad. And it was probably part of Putin's calculation that the West would tire of, of the war. That's why, to his credit, Pope Francis continues to raise this over and over again. But the other thing that I think is extraordinarily dangerous is in this attempt to annex land from the Ukraine to Russia, which is now underway with this election, which is really just a showcase. He will declare that land to be Russian. Mm -hmm. Now you understand therefore what that, what that sets up. So that if the Ukrainians in actually attempt to take back land that was once the Ukraine, which now he considers Russia, he will see that as a direct attack on Russia. And in the military doctrine that he follows, that will allow him the liberty to use non-conventional weapons, whether they are chemical weapons or tactical nuclear weapons. And my understanding of ta tactical nuclear weapons is that they are, um, that it's not Hiroshima, that these are weapons that have a much more contained field of destruction, radiation still, right, to a much larger. So you could destroy a much smaller territory with the weapon. But unfortunately, you would deal the consequences of radiation. So now let's think about this. I'm 63 years old. When the atomic bombs were dropped, I was not alive. This is the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, but actually, in some ways, it's more perilous than the Cuban Missile Crisis because there's a war underway. We may actually be at the threshold of a nation using nuclear weapons in war. Now let's think about that for a second. What are the implications of that? And what concerns me is the rhetoric coming out of Washington is changing. So two months ago, a month ago, three months ago, when this question was raised by reporters, the response back was, this is something that's not an option. This will not happen. In the latest briefing that I just glimpsed when I was watching the news, the gentleman, so I presume it's from the Department of Defense, the gentleman said, we have to make it very clear that if the Russians use tactical nuclear weapons, 
or any unconventional weapon, which could also be chemical weapons, mm -hmm. there will be a, quote, catastrophic response, unquote, from the United States. A mess. It's a mess. When people who are leading nations are godless, amoral, and only driven by authority and power, we are in a very dangerous place. Yep. Right? Yeah. And then you look at a place like Iran. And in Iran, you see the protests that are growing in Iran as well for that brutal execution, in effect, of the young woman who was there, who has now become a focal point of the resistance of a lot of people in the country itself that was once very westernized Iran because they resist the brutal treatment that she received, which was neither just nor justified. So they also, my suspicion, they also are going to respond with a brutal retaliation. Once again, it's a mess. And they, they are religious people, obviously. They take their religion very seriously, but they are very much legalistic in their approach. In a particular way of interpreting the Quran. Yes. Right? Yep. So then you have that. And then you have the economy. Oh, my gosh. The people in our midst here in the country who are looking, you know, you have COVID that knocked the teeth out of some people. Now you have the attempt to slow down an economy, which is overheated, right? And we should not get into politics. That's for another day. And so you're looking at the Federal Reserve saying that they're going to raise interest rates until they see at least a 5.6% unemployment rate. And that the baseline inflation rate is 2%. Now it's a little over 8%. Again, from a policy point of view, that could be right or wrong. I'm not an economist. But from a human point of view, you're talking about millions of people who are going to be hurt because of the situation that we're in. And again, if you were to say to me, well, how do you diagnose that? Again, from just a moral point of view, a lot of what animates economics and social change is all self, it's all subjective. It's all what is in it for me. So tax policy, interest rate policy, corporate decisions, all that stuff, right? We've talked about it, the, the diminishment of the middle class. And, and it, it just it deeply troubles me that the value and dignity of the human person is not what's driving this, which is what Catholic social teaching tells us to do, right? Subsidiarity, solidarity, and the dignity of the human person. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me that those are the principles that are guiding much on the national stage anymore. So then what do we do? So I said to the men, so what do you do with all that? And then you could talk about the tax on religious freedom, the rise of secularism, the rise of materialism. We've talked about those before. Add all that together. My goodness gracious, a Christian in the marketplace, in the public square, what do you do? And, and of course, I spoke about hope. You know, and hope is that unyielding conviction that God keeps his word 
and we're destined for heaven and they're going to sacrifice, but the sacrifice is worth it because the glory is what awaits us and eternal life and eternal love and eternal peace awaits us. So we have, um, we have the gift. Mm -hmm. The real question, which I did not answer in the talk and that maybe you and I could talk about here a bit is what about in the concrete, in the concrete, what do you do? in that sort of situation. Any ideas, Steve? <laughs> you're shaking your head. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're asking me how to solve the world's problems. <laughs> yes, of course. We have 40 minutes. I, you know, no, no, no. What I'm asking you is what can a Steve Lee or any layperson or any cleric or any bishop how do we respond? What's the reasonable, achievable response to what is a mess beyond our pay grade to completely, right? You, yeah. you can't. What do you right. do? Yeah. What do you do like today? What can yeah. you do? Uh, you know, so th the only things that come to mind uh, off the top of my head are things that I've heard from you, Excellency, and from Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. If you want to bring peace to the world, Mother Teresa said, go home and love your family. Mm -hmm. And you've always said, and, and I've actually repeated your words to many people over the past few years, that um, uh, it starts uh, in your house mm -hmm. and, and then it, it builds outwards from there, you know, to the smaller community around you. And, and, and from there, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, just off the top of my head, that's, that's, that's what comes to mind. Vote and and take care of you know teaching i think right. i think that is a phenomenally important starting point it, this dovetails what we talked about last week right is the reigniting the fire of the charisma yes in the end for any of us when we look at that landscape we have one of two choices you could become discouraged or you can address it with hope so i think obviously what the Lord is asking of us is to address it in hope right? and go out and believe that even that mess is subject to God's sovereignty and to Christ's love. We could mess it up beyond belief, but he will not forego or betray his promises. So we have to, that's the first decision. And I can't make that decision for you. You can't make it for me. We need, and we have to say, yeah, I'm not going to retreat. I'm going to go out and do what I can in hope. What you do, I think you said very well, is you start with your family. I would just simply say you start with integrity. Remember we talked about authenticity last in young people? Yes. You're going to start with authenticity. So do we live what we believe? And can people actually see it in our lives? So these individuals, these millions of people who are going to be hurt in the coming months, losing jobs, interest rates rising, unable to pay mortgages. So we can't solve all of it. I can't solve it. But maybe there's one I know that I could address, help, reach out to. And if every Christian did that, now suddenly you have a more global response. Yes. And it comes down to something as that. Do, do we have authenticity of of the faith claim and the witness of our lives. There are other things too. 
and and these are all the sort of questions people need to 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 reflect deeply about many of us who are listening to this podcast we have investments have we ever spent the time to really look at what we're investing never mind just the yield and what it it's returned in one year three years five years but do we ever ask the question, where is my money being put and what is it being put for? What is it doing with this multinational company? And the sad reality is that there are many large companies that can yield us tremendous return on money we invest that make their money on weapons, they make their money on drugs, some of which can be used in ways that are antithetical to Catholic faith. They make it on entertainment that is less than moral. And the list goes on and on and on. And one of the things that we could ask ourselves is, are we contributing to the mess and not even know that we're contributing to the mess? Yeah, yeah. They, they give their profits to Planned Parenthood and places like that. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. or, or they support uh, entertainment that is addictive to our young people. Mm -hmm. Or they follow redlining so that poor people can't get mortgages. Or they are big financial companies that are going to foreclose on mortgages, you know, in what event, what, at least initially, maybe in, in an unjust way. Right. But in... Um, in, in in investing in those companies, Excellency, our our um, our proximity to that to those evils is a little more remote, but still, it, we have a responsibility. You're saying to still look into it, do some homework. Correct. Correct. Yes, of course there is. There's, there may not be a, a an immediate cooperation, but there is a remote cooperation. But the truth, my point is this. You and I have an obligation to be authentic in our witness if we want to stand against everything I just described and say there is a different way, there's a better way. Yes. But the second piece to this is what about if we connected the dots and now 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, there's 79 million Catholics just in this country begin to walk the same way, act the same way when it comes to these basic moral decisions. That suddenly becomes more than the effect I can have. That begins to have a national effect. Yes. Right? And part of the difficulty we experience is that people of faith or Christians, and even within our own church, are divided on the application of moral principles in the modern world. Yeah. So if you want to clean up the mess out there, you've got to start with addressing the fact that there's somewhat of a mess inside. <laughs> and that has to be addressed. And we have to have some frank conversation amongst ourselves with our leaders to say, well, this is what it means to respect the dignity of human life. Yeah. And if you don't agree with that, tell me what your reasoning is. I don't want to hear what you feel, what you think. I'm, I want to know what the reasoning is that allows you to come to the conclusion that, that you can support this. Right. But do you see that happening? No. So the time has come, right? And then, of course, the other great piece to this puzzle, 
which is the unique contribution that the laity have, that, that the clergy do not have, is that the laity are in the public square. That is their rightful place in their vocation with their families, careers. And they are in the political square that clerics are not to be in, yeah. bishops are not to be in. Because no matter what political party you're talking about, no matter on what age, there has never been a party that has been completely, 100% consonant with Catholic faith. Nobody, ever, never. So the laity, when they're educated and committed, they discern in any given moment where it is that they have to support, who they have to support, what, what principles they support, and what parties they support. And even the party they support hold them accountable for the things that they advocate, which we as Christians and Catholics do not advocate. Right. But the, so that's the voice that can begin to move the leadership of a country away from augmenting the mess by yes. making it even a bigger mess. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that I would really want to give thought to the people who are on the call, right? On the podcast, I should say, to give thought as to, you know, we all vote. I do too. But to people of like mind to come together and they have the ability in our country to really advocate for the things they believe in when clerics can't. We need that now. And to advocate for the fullness of Catholic faith, not just your, your, the portion that animates you, because we're obliged to live the fullness of the truth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because Im imagine if the 70 million Catholics voted according to their faith, or even if half of them did, 35 million Catholics? Right. That, wow. <laughs> or imagine that the 35 million that believe um, that the application of the moral law yields X. And I'm making this up. And 35 million believe it yields Y. If we can create a forum, and I would very much love to do this, to create a forum where X and Y talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Because part of what we need to do is strengthen the unity of the church, which we can never take for granted. And the more unified we are, we talked about that last week, the more persuasive we are to society that the paths we are choosing, all right, are not respecting human life, does not promote solidarity, does not respect subsidiarity in the local community and the rights of the local community. It doesn't foster peace. It doesn't foster economic equality or at least the equality of opportunity. It doesn't articulate a set of basic needs that every human person should have addressed. So that is what we need to talk about. And hope will allow us to do that because we believe in our hearts that the Lord will lead us. He will. He won't abandon us. Yeah. So I can't control or we can't control what Putin decides to do. Right? That's something that is out of our control. Our political leaders, though, can be uh, an essential agent in to the extent that it's humanly possible, reason with someone who oftentimes is very irrational. But it's the Christian obligation to seek peace. It's something that I think we need to talk about. And I, and I, I basically ended with the men, 
with the men by just simply saying to them, there are some basic questions you have to ask yourself. Like, what do you deeply desire in your heart? What is ultimately, who is at the center of your heart? How do you guard your heart? Because your heart is that which is going to be the fire. It's going to be the place where it gives you fire to move forward and hope to make these sometimes very difficult decisions. Yeah. And tying this back to last week's episode, Mm -hmm. you're starting something here in the diocese. Mm -hmm. You're cooking it up in your your Mm -hmm. mind Mm -hmm. to reignite people's individual hearts and the Mm -hmm. families and you know, it's like you said, it spreads to the, then to the parish, to the mm-hmm. schools, mm-hmm. and then to the greater community. And now you're starting mm-hmm. to see a transformation in how mm-hmm. people think and live mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. act and work. Mm-hmm. Right. In the end, if I may just make this point before we go for a break, those of who are lay, laity go into the political sphere, most of the time convicted of a political viewpoint you know, a Republican kind of way of looking at things, a democratic way. If you're an independent, you know, it may be a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one. What I'm suggesting is if we want to heal the mess, we go into the public square and into the political arena, not necessarily leading with my political convictions. I lead with my religious convictions and say to all of them, I look at you all as potential Mm-hmm. for my support. But tell me, where are you consonant with what I know will get me to heaven? Because that's the only thing that matters. Yes. All you people one day will all be gone. So will I. But this will not disappear. Right? So tell me where, how many people actually do that? I wonder. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think we both wonder because we don't <laughs> see them. <laughs> right, right. And then the worst is that you wrap up the political party with what we believe. And that's yes. dangerous because the political parties do not, they don't have an allegiance necessarily yeah. to what we believe in, 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 in our allegiance to Christ. So there's a lot to think about because if you don't like the mess and you're angry at what you see, we have to do something about it. But we have to do something about it in, in a way that fulfills our belief and always puts the person first. So let me just end by saying this. There's a mess, but people are not a mess. People live in the mess. And we have to love our whoever our neighbor is, yes. accompany them in mercy to help them get out of the grip of the mess. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. Yes, definitely. So uh, I can't wait to see where the second half of the show takes us. But we're going to go to break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. 
Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, Excellency, you were talking about the mess in society and in the world. And I couldn't help but think of my favorite verse from the Bible is John 16:33, where Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Amen. 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 A Christian is meant to be in the world, but not of the world. Yes. But it's not just in society where we mm -hmm. seem to have messes mm -hmm. because wherever humans are involved, we're going to have a mess. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that also extends to, you know, for better or worse, the church. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we face our own challenges in the church, and we've spoken about them. But when you lay them all out, um, it's a sobering picture that, once again, it demands a choice from every believer. Do you believe that this situation cannot be healed or addressed or from its from the from the shards of what was once a, a, a revigorated renewed church do you believe that it can come back can it can grow out of that no i do that's why we talked about last week i'm on fire i believe this is the golden moment and opportunity but everybody's got to ask that question not just me every believer has to ask that question and more and more unfortunately, are saying, well, it's too much work. It's too much effort. So why do I need to be affiliated with the community or church or religion? I'll just go my merry way. But I liken that to running a marathon with one leg in a cast. <laughs> right? I mean, can you do it? Yeah, sure you could. It may take you months, but yeah, sure you could. But wouldn't it be easier if you had both legs healed and were eating properly and had good enough rest and wouldn't that make more sense? Yeah, for sure. Right? So, so in the end, if you, looked, if you were to ask me, okay, Bishop, what do you think is the greatest challenge we are facing in the church right now? What would you, we've been together all these years. What would you think, Steve? What, what do you think the answer to that question would be? Just uh, like Jeopardy. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think it's actually um, a a division division in the church. You know, give this man the top prize. This man gets the top prize. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt, it is the it's the threat to the unity or the communion of the church. Now, it is always there. Paul and Apollos yes. in the New Testament. It's always been there. It's been there in the ancient church, in the, in the patristic church, in the medieval church, in the Renaissance church, in the 
in the post-Reformation church. It's always been there, right? But for some reason, we cannot underestimate the essential qualitative difference an online world is making towards exacerbating the the divisions. Mm, Yes. This is a new frontier we're in where it's great to be communicated with, but you could also distort what is being said or was said by someone else. Or as we said many times, it can lead to a tribalism that gets people of like mind together to war against everyone else. That we cannot underestimate how corrosive that is to the unity of the church. So how do we address it? Well, I think you could do it in a number of ways. And in our initiative that we're going to unveil, this may give me an opportunity to kind of explain it in even greater detail, because I think some of these, as we say in the town, spunti, these like uh, seedlings have to grow to be able to make sure that the church is truly strengthened by what we're doing. So for the first, what is the definition of a heresy in your own terms? What would you say, Steve? It's uh, it's uh, a public um, denial or, or public teaching that goes against uh, Catholic teaching when you mm-hmm. know it's going against it. Yep. Okay, that's a great answer. Um, How do you become a heretic? How is something is actually more important than what it is? How does it go against the teaching? Uh, um, I guess if you're in a position of authority Mm -hmm. and you and you teach and you've been there's been an attempt at correction Mm -hmm. and you continue to persist in your uh, wrong teaching. Well, that's part of it. Okay. But let's say if I were a Druid priest, right, and I'm a pagan priest, then obviously I am opposing the faith. If I were a devil worshiper, I'm opposing right. the faith. But that's obvious. Right. The heretics within the church are those who use only a portion of the truth. Hmm. That's where it becomes very dangerous. And you take a portion of the truth and you absolutize that portion and you make it reasonable and attractive, logical, or if it's the worldview you want to create. Mm-hmm. And that is a function of not only a misguided individual who is not struggling with the basic premise that the truth is bigger than me, but it is extraordinarily dangerous because for those who do not know the faith very well, they can easily be beguiled to think that the half truth is the fullness of the truth. Yes. And we are in that position now. And it's not just the Second Vatican Council. We were in that position for over a hundred years because when Christianity and Catholicism in particular became normative in many countries, the impetus, the desire, the burning authentic yearning 
to understand the fullness of the truth, the fullness of the faith, did not always come to the fore because you were Catholic. You did what was to be Catholic. You kind of, the, the guardrails of the culture and of, your, and of the time kept you from, you know, serious sin and you knew your duties and responsibilities. And it, it was just, Catholicism was kind of like a way of life, which it is and more. Yeah. So when all of that fell apart, which we talked about then, so how do you, so how do you reconstruct the fullness of the truth so that you're not beguiled by half-truths? And I think that is something that we need to make a priority, right? Catechesis within evangelization has to be a priority. We have to allow people to ask all the questions they have and give them persuasive, authentic answers in faith that are not always easy, they're not always you know, simple, but we're going to lead them to the fullness of the truth one step at a time so that they will not fall into the trap of listening to those who make it easier, simpler, with half-truths that, that ultimately betray the faith. So, so give, I'm going to give you an example. Um, I think the gentleman's name is Hitchin, Christopher Hitchin, the yes. famous atheist. Yes. Who took to task Mother Teresa and all the rest. Yes. Okay. I recently had a conversation with someone and he came up in the conversation. And he, was, he did a set of interviews before he died. Right. And in one of the interviews, he challenged the person who was the Christian and said, well, you tell me, you tell me. When I go aid a person in need, I do good to a person in need without a context of faith, without a God. And you do it, and we're doing the same thing. Tell me, what's the difference? It's an interesting question because I would think a lot of people in our world have reduced themselves to that. Right? I'm ethical. I'll do good. But I don't know if there's a God. And quite frankly, I don't want a community. I'm just going to do it because it does what in the right. end? Yeah. That's my question. All right. So <clears throat> I raised this because the answer I gave um, shocked the individual. Shocked the individual who's a very observant Catholic. And what I said to them is, well, it's the why of what he's doing. And the why of what we're doing, that's essentially different. In fact, he, he, God rest him, he was living a contradiction, a fundamental contradiction. Because if I'm going to reach out to feed this homeless man in the knowledge that tomorrow he will still be homeless and still hungry, one has to ask the question, what essential difference is it for me to do this for this man? What ultimately motivates me to do this when, in fact, it is ultimately futile because I'm not giving him a sustainable way to eat for the rest of his life. Right. He never asked that question because he's he lived a fundamentally contradictory life, that he acted in a way as if there was ultimate meaning in a God, but in fact denied it conceptually. Now, we do that. Why do we do that? Why do we live the Beatitudes, my friends? Why? Because it's the effective way of loving God. That's why. Because our mandate 
is in addition to give thanks to God for all the blessings, our recognition is that God is the source of every grace, every blessing, everything I have in every moment of every day. Absolutely everything is his. All is grace in that regard. So when I say I love God to will is good, there's nothing I can give God. But in my neighbor, in whom God dwells, I love him not simply to meet his immediate need, not simply to affect as good as best I can, but it is an expression tangible of the love I have for the God who made him in his image and likeness, walks with him in his suffering, and will redeem him unto eternal life, which is not something I give him, but God gives him, is fundamentally different. Do you honestly, this person, it was like a, a, an epiphany. And I'm delighted that it came yeah. up just casually in conversation. But then I, I think to myself, well, then we really need to address the half-truths so that the unity is based on the fullness of the truth. Well, yes. I work to do. Yeah. So I, uh, in, in, in catechizing and addressing the half-truths, Excellency, mm-hmm. so <laughs> um, doesn't, doesn't that job belong to me? <laughs> yes, you and the and the other bishops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it belongs to it all does. of us, but it starts with you. Of course you. it does. Of course it does. And I'm going to critique the methodology of the last 40 and 50 years. All right? If you taught math, if I taught math, from the little I remember of it, right, there were basic principles and axioms you have to understand before you go into the more detailed explanations and it's like algebra, right? I have this vague recollection. There are basic principles you have to understand, which I was never quite, <laughs> that was not quite <laughs> a great love of mine. And then you did all these other calculations, right? Right. All right. So uh, what I'm about to say may sound really harsh. So forgive me. But we're, we're stuck in the calculations. We haven't gone to the axioms. Hmm. So we, we are so wrapped up in the last 50 years about the implications in the moral world of the things we believe, when people no longer start with the point that Jesus is our savior and redeemer. Go back to the curriculum last week. Yes. But if you don't understand, if you don't believe that, then all these calculations, you're going like, it's like the three stooges, but you're too young. You're going in all different directions. It's like a circus. Well, of course not, because we don't, the foundations, we, we have not spent enough time in the foundations of faith to get it clear. What's the foundation? The the foundation is that we have a gracious and loving God that made us in the image and likeness of God and in the fullness of time that God took on human flesh in a full human life. Why? So that love could redeem creation in the flesh he took in his death and resurrection. That is the fundamental affirmation of faith. And that's only possible because God is relational, more than one. He is love. So in the end, me as a human being, right, I'm called to be relational. I'm called to be thankful for the one who created me. And I'm the one to proclaim why my life is worth living. It's not because I'm smart or stupid or fat or skinny or rich or poor or a bishop or whatever the heck I am. It's because I've been redeemed in Jesus Christ. Even in my sins, he will forgive me. 
when was the last time, like we talked last week, this is the fundamental question that we're going to catechize people on. Yeah. Then we can talk about the, the arguments of half-truths. Well, because everything becomes clear then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because no, nobody's, no, very few, uh, maybe nobody, nobody's converted by, uh, oh, this is the church teaching on this. They're converted by that encounter with Jesus. That's where it starts. And then the truth, as you learn it, deepens that faith because you see the beauty of it and the yes. cohesion of it, right? The completeness of it. And the beautiful thing it says about God, humanity, creation, grace, redemption, forgiveness, mercy, charity, and hope. It all fits. It all fits. Right? So, so the other piece to this puzzle, if I may, since I'm already on a roll, so I'm already wound up here. The other piece to the puzzle is the humility. Because if the antidote to self-centeredness is humility, we do have to admit that self-centeredness has infiltrated into the life of the church in many different ways. That my life is all about me is not just in culture and society, but you see it in the church as well. Yeah. And that cannot possibly be anything other than sinfulness on our parts, all of us, who ascribe to that or fall into it or attempted to live that way. Yes. So if I'm dialoguing with you, I have to be humble enough to realize you may teach me something. <laughs> you may actually teach me something. <laughs> what? <laughs> Imagine, and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you don't do that, then how could you possibly strive to understand the fullness of the truth or to live a unity that forces me back into my lane. Yeah. I have one lane on the highway. I'm not the highway. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very mm -hmm. well said. Mm -hmm. Within the context of the church, Excellency, then the humility mm -hmm. feels like it, it goes hand in hand entwined with um, obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how obedience to what or to whom s to uh, it feels like to to many different mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. and things so for a priest obedience to his bishop for a bishop obe obedience to the holy father for us for all of us obedience to you know, the magisterium and the teachings. A husband's obedience to his wife and yes. a wife's obedience to her husband. A child's obedience to his or her parents. Yep. And teachers and bosses. Right. That's hard. But, but what animates all of that is our ultimate obedience to Jesus Christ in and through his mystical body. For obedience to have ultimate value, it has to be rooted right, in, in faith. Not just as a human exercise to keep order, not just as a way of, you know, of, uh, for lack of a better word, getting ahead because if I'm obedient, then I'm, you know, I could move ahead. It's got to be based in faith. So St. Thomas speaks about that often. An unjust law, you're obliged not 
not to follow an unjust law. If it's truly unjust, so there's a great discernment that has to go through that. Because you're obedient to your conscience and you have to be obedient to your conscience that's well formed in the truth because that's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Right? Yes. So we say in conscience, I can't do that. Excuse me, what conscience? First of all, but do you understand the issues? First of all, I sound so Italian. I'm sorry. but do you, <laughs> do you understand the issues? First of all, is your conscience well formed? Yes. For the imperative saying conscience, I can't do that. Again, yes. we live in a world where we use that as the excuse to do what I want. No, right. no, no. Conscience compels because it's the meeting place with God who will reveal to you what needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, what you're saying is completely different from your truth is different from my truth. Oh, but, but I, what does that mean? <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. What does that mean? I don't know. And, and, and the other thing, too, quite frankly, if we're going to bring this kind of to a conclusion, is the church needs to dialogue with the world, with culture, with the secular world. Yes, it does. But it's got to do it from a place where it, it understands its unique identity. You know, a lot of people have dialogued with the world and have gotten more confused precisely because they didn't enter into the dialogue confident of what, of who we are and what we we believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, That's a recipe for more confusion. So yeah. I think you need to dialogue with the world and go into the world, but you also always have to go to home base to make sure that my my I'm not afflicted with half-truths, that I stand humble before the truth, that in my conscience, I, I, I'm in communion with the Holy Spirit. I follow right authority. And I'm always searching for a deeper understanding of what it means to be a Catholic Christian, what this Lord and Savior is asking of me. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, so, ooh, the next five years are going to be an absolute, uh, we are, it's going to be tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Mm-hmm. I have uh, in in the final few minutes, so I do have, and you've you've addressed this in the past, but just one more time for me, Excellency, for mm-hmm. me and and the people in the pews who look around, mm-hmm. and it just looks like a mess from mm-hmm. Germany to Belgium to even apparent disagreements in the U.S. CCB. How, how I'm, what what can the normal layperson do? What should we do? How should we look at this stuff? Um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, any answer I give may sound very simplistic, but I would say this. Um, do not be deeply troubled about the signs of division that are around us in the church. Because in every age where division has come, unity has followed. Hmm. I would say that for those who have the interest, look at the magisterium in time and place. So there are Belgian bishops, German bishops. Yeah. So let's say there's 50 bishops. Okay. How many bishops have they been since the apostles in the upper room? Who have taught in the living magisterium? I think it's not a mistake that some of the most prominent Protestant conversions of great intellectuals was when they discovered the fathers. What I'm going to suggest is that a Catholic, particularly those who like history, 
should be reading the history of the church and should be reading the, the, the sermons of the bishops like Bellamine or Augustine or um, John Chrysostom or priests like St. Thomas or deacons like St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, do you know what I mean? It, it, yes. It, it's, it, don't worry about some of what's going on right now because in, in the schema, in the whole arch of, 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 the, of time and space that the church exists, we're talking a millisecond in a lifetime for the church. Yeah. It will straighten itself out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point because even in, in the fourth century, when the Arian heresy was raging, there was much more division. Oh, without a doubt. And, and the Reformation too. But see, yes. And the one thing we have to always realize is that the bishops who are doing what they're doing, like in Germany, in Belgium, and all are doing it out of a motivation of trying to be pastorally responsive. I'm not sure there's a single bishop who is doing it to be malicious or to hurt people of the church. It may be, in my estimation, some of it is misguided. Mm-hmm. But but it's it, it's the intention is a minimum benign, but I think it's they're trying to be pastorally responsive. The question is, how do you respond effectively? Yeah, right. And the fact that they are proposing these things will provoke a conversation that, with humility, should again reestablish a consensus that you you don't accommodate by stretching the truth. You accommodate by offering the truth in an effective way to those around you, because the truth is Jesus Christ in the in the, in the mystery of the church. He is the truth, and he is always and forever will be compelling, always. Amen. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you, Excellency. So with that, let's take our our final break for today and uh, come back on the other side with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we will be right back. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here's a very good question that came in. It says, Bishop, there is a lot of effort going to bringing young people back to the church. I worry that older people in their 50s and 60s are neglected. What efforts are being made to bring them back to the church? That is a very insightful question. And I think it raises a legitimate issue that we need to to talk about as a diocesan church. Because certainly we want to reach out to our young people and young adults and young couples because in a sense, it brings also their children, especially those who are young adults married. It brings the children. So it's a multi-generational outreach is what we're doing. But the, the insight in the question is that the, those who are older, like in my age, early 60s, they are the ones who have stayed by the church, stood by it all these years, and believe, and their needs have to be met. And there was a time when the church had structures, like a Holy Name Society, a Rosarian Society, and you know things of that nature, where um, people 
of middle age and older could find a place to be nurtured and formed and fed and socialize. And there are new initiatives coming forward, like Walking with Purpose and so many others. But to be very honest, in the answer to the question, we have to do much more to help individuals of that age. And I am open to any suggestion on how to do that because it's a question of justice and it's a question of, of, of recognizing that without those individuals, many of us wouldn't be here. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. So it is a valid question. We've talked about it, but I would much prefer that the diocese not take the lead but that the parishes take the lead and because the parish leadership knows their people even better than we do on the diocesan level. And, and by trial and error, uh, best practices to, to kind of like bring it to, to all the parishes to offer them. But it is a question that I, that I need to continue to think through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I think, uh, now that I think about it, I think father Terry Walsh had some, some good things happening in, in, uh, the parishes where mm-hmm. he's been for that mm-hmm. cohort. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it into us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. So, Excellency, today turned out okay, even though we didn't have a, a set topic when we logged in. This was pure psychological counseling for me. I love it. <laughs> for my own sanity, I want to make sure we have topics ahead of time. <laughs> I know you you had that look like the deer in front of the headlights. What is this man going to say? But actually, the truth is, I had thought this through already before we oh, came. This was not off the cuff. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, and now, may I please ask you for your blessing? Yes, yeah, of course, my friend, of course. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, Father, creator of all things, we give you thanks and praise for every blessing you have given us. Allow this day to be our fragrant offering back to you, that all that we do and say may give you honor and glory. And we ask that your Spirit bless us in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, my friend, enjoy the week. You too. Okay, ciao.